Right, we're going to get straight into this. So, uh, if I could ask my friend Rachel to come and speak to us from Scripture. We do sometimes also invite people who aren't called Rachel, but it's just fun. There's so many Rachels. When I say Rachel's going to come, it's like every Rachel in the house goes, what? (laughs) So, anyway, this is great. Okay, this is from Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. Now, as Peter went here and there among all the believers, he came down also to the saints living in Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up, and all the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Docrus. She was devoted to the good works and acts of charity, and at that time she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. Thank you, Rachel. So, two amazing, astonishing miracles, one straight after the other. And for the most, most of the time that I spent uh, sort of reflecting on this passage, uh, thinking about what we could learn and preparing for this morning, I could only really come up with this, that the Holy Spirit is present with Peter, The Holy Spirit is actively restoring what was broken and actively raising what is dead to life. And God himself is present here today, restoring what is broken, raising what is dead to life. So why don't you stand and I'll pray. (laughs) Just kidding. I'd probably get in trouble if I just left it at that. But uh, let me see if I can stretch this out for a little bit longer. Um, I warn you, though, you have already heard the main point of this passage. Uh, But before you switch off, uh, let me just say two more things. First, I want to repeat that God is present right here, right now, and he's active to restore what is broken and to raise what is dead back to life. And sometimes he does it even when we're not even asking for it or looking for it. He goes ahead and he does his thing. Just when we're reaching out to touch him, like the woman who just touched his uh, cloak and she experienced healing. It doesn't matter if you're here for the first time or for the hundredth time. It doesn't even matter if you've figured out what this whole Christianity thing is to you in your life. But if you came in this room with some problem with your body, you might want to give it a quick sugar. Did I say it right? Just see if God has healed it. You won't know until you try. The guy on the mat had to get up. 
God is here, God is moving. If at any point you feel that God is healing you, just interrupt me, just stick your hand up. Perfectly better, perfectly better. Praise the Lord, thank you God. So again, you know, the, God, God doesn't walk out of the room when we finish singing, so he's still here. So if, if you experience healing, just interrupt me at any point, stick your hand up, and uh, we will praise the Lord. We're about the Father's business here. So I don't want God to fit into my plan for this morning. I want to fit into his plan. I want to be attentive to what he is doing. Second thing before you switch off, by the way, and you have permission to switch off, full permission to switch off, because I've already said the most important sentences of this sermon. Option, uh, I want to give you the freedom of three options at this point. Option number one, pay very close attention to me and everything I have to say, just in case the Lord has given me something that you need to hear. Option two, just change channel and uh, spend the rest of this time, probably, I just invite you to just pray. Pray that Jesse will shut up and we can get on with ministering to one another. Just pray for more healing. Option number three, which is the option I hope you'll take, is to do both and. Little from column A, little from column B. So you can listen to what I'm saying, and you can listen to God at the same time. Hopefully, God has given me something to say, and he's going to say it to you through me. But also, just be aware of the continuing presence of the Holy Spirit in this room. Today, much of the church around the world is thinking about the day of Pentecost, My friend Harmony was preaching in Belfast City Vineyard a couple of weeks ago while I was there. She said, she was speaking about the Holy Spirit, and she said, at the first Pentecost, uh, God sent his Holy Spirit to be with his church. And that sadly, for much of human history, the church has ever since been trying to send the Holy Spirit back. (laughs) Let's not be those people. Let's welcome the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come and have your way. But for those of you who are still with me, here goes. I have two points to make about what, we think, uh, what I think we can learn from Peter uh, in this passage. And my first comes from the very first uh, and seemingly mundane sentence in this passage. As Peter went here and there among all the believers, he came down also to the saints living in Lydda. Now, it's been a while since we've heard anything about Peter in Acts. So we need to rewind to chapter 5. Uh, And we're reminded that he and the apostles have been going about Jerusalem, proclaiming the good news of Jesus in word and in miraculous deed. And as a result, they're arrested, they're imprisoned. And then an angel comes and rescues them from prison, and they go out and they carry on preaching. And then they're brought before the court again. And by this point, the uh, authorities are afraid, as well as angered, uh, by what Peter and the apostles are doing. So they just, they, they basically are saying, uh, you know, if this is God, then we don't want to be on the wrong side of this. So let's let them go about their business, um, but let's try and sort of control the, control the parameters of what they're saying. So they give them a good flogging, and they let them go and tell them not to speak about Jesus anymore. So they go and speak about Jesus more. And every day they're speaking about Jesus in public, in private, all the while risking another beating with whips and sticks. And then here in chapter 9, we re-meet Peter. At this point, the church is now experiencing a season of peace and security. As Caitlin preached last week, with the help of Barnabas, Saul, 
the greatest enemy of the church, has now been brought into the fold of the emerging church. Luke tells us in uh, verse 31 of this chapter that the church, uh, if we could put that up, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up, living in the fear of the Lord, not in the fear of Saul, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So the church now enters a period of peace and security and growth. Probably not surprising since the main guy who was out to kill them and arrest them is now on their side. And now we rejoin Peter. What is he doing? Or to ask this another way, does this new season of peace and security mean that the apostles finally take a deep breath, sit back, relax, and take a rest? By no means. They are still on the move. There is work to be done. There may be a break from direct human opposition, but the kingdom of God has no shortage of strongholds to infiltrate. And what we see here is that whether in seasons of great danger or seasons of great security, Peter knows his business and he gets on with it. Whether he's among crowds of hostiles or crowds of believers, as in this chapter, Peter just keeps going. And we've seen it in Peter before, and now we're seeing it again. Gone is the Peter who one minute swears that he will follow Jesus to the death, and then in the next minute is denying he even knows Jesus. We've seen the radical change of life that the Holy Spirit has affected in Saul, and here we see it affected in Peter too. Peter is now constant in his faith, not because he's the amazing sainted Peter of whom there are many statues uh, built, but because he's a man yielded to and filled with the Holy Spirit. His confidence is no longer in his own fidelity and his own courage. We saw where that got him, right? And Now his confidence is in the risen Jesus whose presence is still with him. And Morag said to us a few weeks ago that we don't stand on the shoulders of giants. Peter's no giant. We stand on the shoulders of ordinary men and women who just said yes to God. Just said, let's give it a go. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they stepped out trusting him. So whether in seasons of great danger or of great security, Peter knows his business and he gets on with it. I wonder, have we grown idle in this time of safety and prosperity? It actually seems as though where there is more uh, human opposition, those are the places that the gospel spreads like a wildfire. Uh, I, uh, was in a, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago where I heard a guy called Pete Gregg, who leads the 24-7 prayer movement, talk about the church in Iran. Uh, right now, and extraordinary stories of how in a country where Christians are persecuted, the church is growing in a way that no other part of the church is growing in any other part of the world. This is the most significant church growth anywhere in the world currently. But here in Acts, the gospel is spreading even during a time of peace and security for the church. So my first lesson from Peter is this. Forget about keep calm and carry on, I want to encourage us to do this, to get filled with the Holy Spirit and carry on. I wonder, 
where you are right now this morning. If you're in a fight for your life, get filled and carry on. If you are simply bored and every day seems like the last, get filled and carry on. Maybe you've just come through a trial and just suddenly able to breathe and relax. Get filled and carry on. Maybe you're excited or even afraid for what the future holds politically or personally. Get filled and carry on. Let's learn from Peter. Whether in times of peace or struggle, let's get filled with the Holy Spirit and carry on. Now, I don't want you to hear me say, pull yourself together. I know that there are going to be a lot of us here who are experiencing real struggle, real depression, real anxiety. This is not that. This is not that. But in times where all we seem to see is darkness, the Holy Spirit knows the road ahead and wants to take us by the hand and lead us one step at a time. Get filled and carry on. That's point number one of two. My second point is this, simply that Peter did what Jesus did, and so should we. In Mark chapter two, going back to the Gospels, uh, Jesus also heals a paralytic man. He says this to him, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out. And they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Stand up and take your mat, said Jesus. Get up and make your bed, said Peter. Peter remembers his time with Jesus. He sees this man who's been bedridden for years, and he just does what he remembers Jesus having done. And the same is true of this resurrection of Tabitha. So let's look at Mark uh, chapter 5. And here, Jesus is brought to the house of a girl who has died. And he allows no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, that's uh, Peter, James, and John, took... Uh, took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means in Aramaic, uh, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. And then, interestingly, Jesus strictly, strictly orders them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So in this story, there's a death, there's loud mourning going on, just as, is, just as there is with Tabitha, who's also called Dorcas, but I like the name Tabitha better, right? It's nicer. I wonder why we're told she's called Tabitha and Dorcas. I'll tell you in a minute what I think. Jesus puts everything, uh, everyone out, except for the girl's parents and Peter, James, and John. We're told that Peter was there. And uh, Jesus says, Talitha come. Words that mean, little girl, get up. He reaches out his hand and helps her rise from death into life. And in Joppa, here's Peter. There's a death. There's loud mourning. People are weeping and wailing. Peter puts everyone out of the room. He gets on his knees and he prays. 
He's just speaking to Jesus. That's what prayer is. It's just a conversation with God. And what I imagine happening in that conversation is Peter is reminded of Jairus' daughter. He remembers, I've been here before. And so in imitation of Jesus, Peter turns to Tabitha. Actually, it says, it literally says, Peter turned to the body. She's dead. She's no longer Tabitha. This is the body. But Peter says this. Okay, I'm imagining here, right? But I'm imagining that Peter speaks Aramaic. It's not a massive leap. I imagine he says this. Tabitha, come. Not Talitha, come, as Jesus has said, but he changes one little letter. Tabitha, come. I love the beautiful symmetry that there is between Peter's action and Jesus' action. But there's a couple of differences, uh, and the differences are as important as the similarities. First, when Jesus heals the paralytic, he simply says, stand up, take your mat. Peter, by contrast, says, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And the difference is crucial. First, it's not Peter's power that heals. It's the power of the risen Jesus. Peter is an instrument Jesus is the hand that wields the instrument. Secondly, when Jesus raises the dead girl, he simply takes her hand and tells her to get up. Peter, by contrast, gets on his knees and prays. He invites Jesus into the situation. Peter does not bring Tabitha back to life. Jesus does. Peter didn't go into that room and use the power of Peter to raise her to life. Instead, he knelt down, not to beg God, not to plead, because God, we don't need to beg God. God gives gifts to his children. He's he's a good father. Instead, it's a posture of submission, of service to the one who gives life. It's the kneeling says, I can do nothing here but yield to you, O God. So in the face of sickness and death, Peter does what he remembers Jesus doing, all the while acknowledging that, while it, that, it, that it's still Jesus that does the work. That is such a relief for us, isn't it? That when we pray for people to be healed, it's not on us to do the healing. It's Jesus who does the healing. It's not up to Peter to raise Tabitha. It's up to him to invite Jesus into the situation. I'm struck by another difference. There's, um, there's this odd phrase at the end of the uh, resurrection in Mark where Jesus tells people not to tell anyone. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. See? I wonder what that's all about. And Jesus leaves the area straight afterwards. Keep it secret. I'm out of here. Whereas Peter, by contrast, there's no such instruction to keep anything secret. And again, in contrast, he sticks around. He sticks around for a long time afterwards. I wonder what this is all about. I think the answer is in what God did at Pentecost. Before Jesus was crucified, he was but one man 
operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And one man, however powerful, as powerful as Jesus was, one man can only meet so many people and do so much. And when crowds started to press in towards him, he had to retreat. He, he left town. He went into the countryside. He had to steward his resources carefully, just as we do, even more so. But after he rose from death, he ascended into heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit. And all of his disciples were suddenly empowered by the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was empowered with. And now, no longer is there just one man doing stuff. There's a whole army of them, of, of little Christs, which is where the word Christian comes from. Little Christs everywhere, just doing Jesus stuff. No need for secrecy anymore. It's time for this thing to spread. So Peter's happy to let everybody know, and I'm going to stick around, deal with the fallout of this resurrection. Because down the road in Caesarea, Philip is doing his thing. Down the road in Tarsus, Paul is, you know, just Saul is figuring things out. You know, there's all these guys in Jerusalem, you know, they got it covered. Peter doesn't need to be moving from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. He's going to deal with the fallout of this. Because after Pentecost, there's all these little Christs everywhere doing the stuff. So Peter did what Jesus did. And for him, as with us, that means getting filled with the Holy Spirit and being intimate enough with Jesus that we kind of catch his way of doing things. So how do we do that? Here are three ways to get intimate with Jesus. First, we spend time in God's word and we learn what he's like. Just That's what we're doing now. We're looking at the scriptures. We're trying to figure out what is God like. We don't make it up. We read the testimony of the believers. We do that together, but we also have the resources to do that on our own and in small groups. Second thing, we gather together to worship with the family of little Christs. You're all little Christs. And here we encourage one another as we walk through life with Jesus and with one another. But another thing, and this is really crucial, we habitually put everyone out of the room and we get onto our knees. Intimacy with Jesus means closing the door and simply spending time with him. There's no substitute. And that's all I've got. So those of you who switched channels earlier and wait to come back into the room, Here's the main two points that I think God wants to teach us about Peter. We need to get filled and carry on. We need to get intimate with Jesus and do what Jesus did. So just as in these uh, miraculous accounts, there's work that God does and there's work for us to do. And the really hard work begins when we leave here. If we're determined to follow Jesus, to get more intimate with him, so that we can do what, we, what he did, We've actually got to put structures into our lives to make that happen. But the first part of it is much easier, to get filled. To get filled, we just need to ask, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, not because the Holy Spirit isn't already here, but because by saying, come Holy Spirit, we actually offer an invitation, a welcome. And God doesn't press himself onto those 
uh, uninvited. It also says in Revelation that he stands at the door and knocks. He doesn't say he beats his way into your heart, ready or not. The Holy Spirit is here, but we have to say, welcome, come, Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, Isaiah says, those who wait upon him will renew their strength. So we need to get filled if we're going to carry on. So why don't you stand for real now, and I'll pray. We've got loads of time this, this morning. We're going to simply wait upon the Holy Spirit. We don't know exactly what God is going to do. We, we, we know what he likes to do. We know what he wants to do. He wants to see healing. He wants to touch people where uh, there is hurt and pain, whether that hurt and pain is physical or emotional. He wants to restore us to wholeness, whatever that looks like, whether that means relationships restored or whether it means shoulders uh, relieved of pain as they were just a few minutes ago. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you.